When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Metal Mike, and in this episode of the 80s Glam Metal Cast, I talk to a rock and roll vocal legend, most notably from Rainbow and Deep Purple, Joe Lynn Turner. Joe's such a down-to-earth guy. Yeah, I know that's a Rainbow album, no pun intended. He talks about what he's working on now, and he gives some interesting inside info that will blow your mind. Stay tuned, because a little later on in the video, we'll talk about some rockin' new releases out now on Cleopatra Records. You gotta check it out. Joe, welcome to the 80s Glam Metal Cast. How you doing, brother? I'm doing great. Thanks for the call, Mike. I really appreciate it. So tell us, what are your plans for 2020 for touring and for new music? Okay, so on the touring side of it, uh, we're doing a few scattered dates right now. Um, uh, but we don't really kick in until, say, end of March, beginning of April, when the weather starts getting nicer, uh, as well as all over the place it gets nicer and it's safer to travel. I don't like I don't like traveling in blizzards and stuff anymore, Mike. You know, I mean, I've done enough of that in my day, and uh, it's very dangerous out there. I can remember crossing the Alps one time with Rainbow full of just snow, and the bus was right next to a cliff and there I was I said you know what summer's better so <laughs> we're going to start touring heavily in April uh, we'll end up probably in Australia in November we'll go all through Europe um, don't have any plans right now coming to the states um, not until maybe maybe after the holidays maybe next year because this year I'm pretty full up and what I am doing is different dates with orchestras I'm doing a lot of orchestral work. In other words, there's usually an orchestra, then a rock band in front of it. And I do about five, six songs uh, with other scattered guests. And um, it's an amazing experience. We've done Vienna Opera House uh, and a couple of other big places. And the response is amazing. It's kind of a trend right now, really. I mean, um, Rockme's Classic out of Germany started it years ago, and I did a big one, big tour with Alice Cooper over there. But um, every, everybody else is catching on to this now, and there's plenty of these uh, different orchestral arrangements. So I'm doing a lot of that, plus I'm doing a lot of stuff with the rock band. I'll be doing a tour of Russia with the rock band and, and other dates throughout Europe and stuff, Italy, you name it. It's, it's, I'm in Eastern Europe now, I'm in Belarus, so it's easier to fly anywhere throughout Europe and uh, point south. Yeah, well, as far as new music, this is where it gets tricky because I've got two serious projects going. And because of the touring schedules of everybody, for example, let's talk about this first one. With uh, I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with the band Pain and Hypocrisy. Um, this is Peter Tetkin from Pain and Hypocrisy, who is also the writer, producer, and main vocalist. Uh, so... I'm doing an album with Peter, and we've, it's killer. It's kind of a cross between um, industrial metal meets classic rock. 
Interesting. And I have to tell you, it doesn't it does not sound like anything out there. It's just, it's got I mean it's familiar and it's catchy, but at the same time it's a different kind of genre for me. So that's that's one of them. And then I'm writing with uh, Simone Molinari from uh, uh, an amazing guitarist uh, who's been on a lot of my latest Sunstorm records. Um, who's in a band called TM, DMG, and uh, which is a progressive metal outfit. And we've got some seriously heavy stuff with him. Uh, as a matter of fact, I thought this might have been him on, on the Vibercall, but only because uh, we plan to talk either today or tomorrow. And so, yeah, but the problem is everybody's, you know, you got to go out and pay the rent. you got to tour. So, uh, for example, Peter's, Peter's out with Till Lindemann right now, who's a good friend of ours. We're going to try to get Till to sing a track on the uh, on the album with me, and um, or at least a bit part or something. We're going to salt and pepper it with a uh, guitar player from Sabaton and Taria Tarunin and a lot of other people. But um, they're coming here March fourth. I'm going to go see Lindemann, and uh, we'll talk about it a little bit more then. But on the road, you know, and so it's broken up the recording process. That's the problem. The recording process has been interrupted time and time again but we keep plugging along with songs and tracks and all that and we're, we've got about six seven of them now finished and at least demoed up because once we get them all done we just go in the studio and knock it off no problem and um that's the long and short of it right now i've got a few other side projects uh, i wrote a song here for the eastern uh, what they call the euro olympics which is a song called Dream, which was intentionally written for the children. I had about 200 kids all around me who were singing. They're all talented people, kids from here, uh, soon to be talented people um, who are just amazing. And this song is kind of an inspirational, um, uh, sort of we are the world type of thing, you know. And uh, let's see, I did the Euro Olympics with that. I did a couple of big TV shows, you know, things like that. So keeping busy. Yeah, sounds like you've had a lot going on, and those projects sound pretty cool. Uh, one thing that I stumbled yeah, upon yeah. on uh, Spotify was uh, you have an album called The Sessions, and it's basically all the different tribute songs that you've done throughout the years. What's your approach when you go into a cover song? Well, you know, I've done cover songs since oh, I can't even remember when. There was a, two albums specifically for Japan, called Undercover. Mm -hmm. uh, first one was Undercover 1, Undercover 2, of course. And when I called it Undercover, it's because the, at that point, the Japanese rock and roll history was not very long, you know, maybe 25 years, 20 years. And um, I wanted to do several different songs that would kind of introduce them to different styles, you know, whether it was Fortunate Son by Creedence or Vehicle by the Ides of March or a Hendrix song or something like that. Um, so they commissioned me to do two albums of undercover. So I've, I've done a bunch of cover stuff like that. But um, Sessions came out of uh, Cleopatra Records. Brian over at Cleopatra wanted me just to, at, the, at that point in time, I still think it happens. They give about 10 or 15% away to charity for every CD sold. And there's a, it's star-studded. I mean, it's just got every great player from rock and roll you can imagine on these albums. And um, I kept piling up tracks one by one because, you know, he'd ask me and then maybe in six months he'd ask me to do another and maybe three months he'd ask me to do another. 
and they kept releasing these. And finally, he said, "Look, why don't we just collect all of your uh, coverage tracks here, and we'll put them out in a thing called Sessions, uh, a CD called Sessions?" And I said, "Sounds like a good idea." And that's how that came up to be alive. One song that really stuck out for me was was Hellraiser. Uh, I've never. I'll be honest with you. I've never. Oh, yeah. I've never liked that song. I don't know why. I don't. I think it's maybe too commercial for Ozzy and Motorhead, right? But with yeah. your voice, I thought it was perfect, and it's been stuck in my head for days. <laughs> wow. Hey, that's a compliment. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. You know, I try to pay respect to the uh, to the original artist, but at the same time, they said, "Look, don't be Ozzy." I said, "I can't be Ozzy," but uh, so they said, "We want you to be Joe Montana." And in some cases, like uh, Dan, um, was it Dance the Night Away or whatever, yep. you know, I was doing a little David Lee Roth. And I have fun with this stuff because I grew up imitating people. And uh, that's, I think, the best way to, to learn when you're a kid. You start to, to, to be influenced by all these different kinds of music. And I mean, I listen to everything from opera to Italian crooners to uh, jazz, rock, a lot of R&B and soul, blues everything and um the british invasion you name it and i would always take a bit and piece from each one of them and uh, the biggest compliment i think i ever had in my life was when roger glover uh, from uh, purple rainbow uh, had said in an interview that joe lynn turner has found his voice and i became a distinct sound and uh, even i got complimented from uh, uh uh, from uh, Europe, uh, because uh, Joey Campus said that you know he listened to a lot of my stuff early on, and like the phrasing and and the combination of soulful rock, and uh, he sort of incorporated some of me in his stuff, and that was that was a real gift because you know when you start influencing other people like I was influenced, that's that's called paying it forward. That, that's that's uh, that's really what it's all about, you know, showing each other the way to find the path. So I'm glad you said that. Uh, you just made my day. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's there's more compliments coming, Joe. I appreciate that, Mike. Thanks. How do you look back on the time in Rainbow? I look back with very good memories. Uh, I try not to. I'm not the kind of person who dwells on negativity. It's useless. Uh, hate is useless. It kills you from within. Uh, revenge is useless. There's none of that in my life. I mean, I live a nice, clean, interesting, wonderful life because I've let go of all that stuff. I'm, I'm finally wise enough to, to know all this. Um, some people, you know, they, especially in this business, they go on fighting with each other for years. Uh, the, the story of purple is nothing but a huge fight. <clears throat> it's, it's a useless um, battle because it never can be won or lost. And the only thing that is, is lost, really, is, is the friendship they once had and um, the good times that they once had. So to answer your question a bit more succinctly, I look at Purple as the good times. Purple and Rainbow as the good times, actually. I had a lot of great memories, and that's what I keep very close to me. All the fun we had, all the great music we made, which still lives on today, and the acceptance by masses of people you know that admiration can keep you for a very long time so richie's back doing rainbow if he ever gave you a call and says hey joe let's do an album what, what would you say well well let me put it to you this way <laughs> most people don't know this true story you know because i didn't try to really come out and make people understand it all because 
management, because it's his mother-in-law, from a good year. I've got all the emails to prove it. We were going back and forth talking about what the reunion of Rainbow would be. And I wanted an authentic Rainbow reunion. I wanted authentic players. I wanted the real Rainbow. <clears throat> Not just the Rainbow I was in, but I wanted to bring up Doogie White and Graham Bonnet, and I had Bob Daisley, and I had, uh, unfortunately, Jimmy um, uh, Jimmy Bain had passed, and so on and so forth. But Don Airy, I, I wanted to make it sort of an, a rainbow extravaganza. There would be a core band, you know, whether it was Rondinelli or Bergie on drums or Dave Rosenthal. I spoke to all of them, and I was lining all this up. And then, if you you may or may not know anything about the Blackmore camp, as we call it, but they're very guarded. And the the mother-in-law, the story is I had a spy in that camp. And then the, the story is, is that she was bad-mouthing me to Richie saying that I wanted to take full control of it all. And that couldn't be further from the truth. I was talking to Live Nation, which we had, you know, uh, over 160 dates promised, either headlining and or special guests at all the big festivals. Um, uh, we had uh, he, um, our label Universal was going to release at least not only an album, but a, but a four-song EP. I had Rockfield Media out of L.A., which was going to do a, a 3D video of the whole thing. It was just going to be gigantic and enormous, you know, amazing. And um, she turned around and just dropped it like a hot potato. Didn't even give me any reason why. And I found out uh, in a newspaper called La Parisienne that uh, I wasn't going to be in the band. So I kind of laughed at it simply because he said, you know, that I didn't know about it. But I said, well, he's making a mistake, but he doesn't know about it. And I still think that's my, and I know that's my opinion today. The rainbow he put together is nostalgic, but it is not rainbow. Sure. Never did an album. And all they do is these spot dates. And anybody who goes to see them, it's all over YouTube. And that's really all I got to say about it. You know, is if you ask me, he's cheating the public. And, um, that's not was my intention. So happily, I go along. Richie's allowed to do whatever he wants to do, and so am I. And I don't need the hassle. Yeah. So it's great. And I'm doing. I'm just doing. I'm doing great, Mike. I can't tell you. I'm happier than ever, and still cranking. <laughs> the older I get, amazing. <laughs> well, what you uh, had just stated sounds like it would have been amazing, but what can you do, right? Yeah, exactly, man. It would have been unbelievable. And, you know, even people who haven't seen Rainbow before, there's a lot of them that love the music and grew up on them are still not seeing Rainbow, you know, no, no matter what configuration he put together. Uh, I think, uh, I mean, if you look at Live Between the Eyes or any of our live stuff compared to the stuff he's got on YouTube with this particular aggregation, there's no comparison. No. None. That our band rocked. So my first exposure to you was uh, Ingve Malmsteen Odyssey. And uh, what are your thoughts on that album going back? Well, I, personally, I think it's some of the best work Ingve or I have ever done. I think that is a brilliant album. It still stands the test of time. Odyssey is uh, just powerful. Every track is a great song and yet incredible virtuoso playing by Ingve. Uh, my vocal performances, I couldn't couldn't get better. I think if I tried, um, the writing, everything was just there. That package, 
to me, uh, of course, I know for a fact, uh, as far as numerically, it's the, the biggest album he's ever had. Um, and uh, still playing some of those songs with my band. Nice. Absolutely. People want to hear that stuff. You know, and he's gone off in another world. So, uh, you know, he, he does Rising Force and a few other songs, but he's singing them and it's just not going to work. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you touched on that because as somebody that's been a big fan of his for all these years, I mean, let's face it, right. I, I agree also. Odyssey, with you, best album. But he's had some great ones with Mark Bowles, uh, Mike Vissera, yeah. Soto. Absolutely. And I hate to say it, but to have him singing, it just doesn't work for me as a fan. I'm sorry. You know, uh, he... You know, sometimes you're influenced by other people around you. I'm not going to mention names, right. but uh, and um, it's a shame because uh, you need guidance not only from yourself, of course, uh, your interior, but you need an external guidance too from people who you trust and whom you admire and whom you can believe in. And I don't think he's getting the right uh, the right information uh, to do. You know, he pushed the band all the way to the side. And yeah. he's got, you know, 15, 20 amps, and he's in center stage, and he's trying to sing, and I, and I go, what is that? It's not, it doesn't work. And I think for you as a big fan, and me, I'm a fan, I think he's a brilliant guitar player. It's just not working anymore. He's going into a weird, weird direction here. So... You know, you can't tell people sometimes, so what no, are you going to do? you can't. How, how did the pairing uh, of you guys come together? Uh, good question. Um, actually, this came out of Polygram. Okay. Polygram was his label at the time, and uh, I had been on Poly, Polygram, Polydor International uh, with Rainbow, and um, he, uh, Jim Lewis, who was a uh, VP up there, said, look, I want you to do what you did with Rainbow to Inge. And I said, what's that? And he goes, give this guy some hits. <laughs> Write some songs. Because, you know, because everybody knows me as a singer, but I'm a songwriter. Right, you are. And I've written all kinds of songs for all kinds of people. And uh, I don't go around blowing my horn about it, but at the same time, I'm a pretty damn good writer. And I said, okay. So I listened to some of his tracks, and I said, I could make some really cool stuff out of this. Heaven Tonight, for example, Big Smash, you know, that type of stuff for radio. Um, and also keeping the integrity of and the heaviness and the subject matter. You know, because Ingve would be like, oh, well, you're talking about love. And I go, Ingve, love is a good thing to talk about occasionally. <laughs> Dreaming is a beautiful song, you know, so on and so forth. So uh, we kept the integrity and we came up with a pretty commercial album he did very we did very well with it we toured with it um and uh, i thank polygram for it and and everything that all my dealings came out of polygram okay. they weren't with Ingve, in other words they were with the record company directly you know as far as payments and publishings and copyrights and everything else so because a lot of people i know uh, complain they got ripped off but i never got ripped off I don't know whether or not he's uh, he's forking over some of the royalties now or not. It looks like he is, but uh, who can tell? This is a rough business. So, um, and I have very pleasant memories of that too. You know, English could be difficult, but uh, I already dealt with Richie, so I had a pretty good edge. <laughs> <laughs> couple more thoughts on this album. So. Let's go back to Heaven Tonight. And this was a question that I had because I know you, you wrote all the lyrics, I believe, for this album. Was that 
um, a, ten melodies. Yeah, was that a mute? Was that music that you wrote to, or did or did he have to write to your to your lyrics and melody? No, no. In other words, Ingley would come up with a track. Okay. He was the music, he was the guitarist. This was his tracks, and what I would do is take these tracks, demo tracks they were, and I would hole up in a hotel, you know, and. Uh, just start writing and with my recorders and et cetera, et cetera, and my legal pads and my, you know, computers, and just start writing lyrics and melodies to these tracks and create songs because a track is not a song. It's a music track. There's no lyric on top of it. There's no message. There's nothing. There's no melody. Uh, so you have to create all that. And uh, that was my job, and my job was also to make it, uh, how shall we say, commercially accessible to the public. Get on radio, and that's what we did. Well, you nailed it, Joe. Thank you. Yeah, I thought so. Well, I really thought I nailed it with them. I thought I got it with Rainbow. You know, I try to always make professionally right for the project. You know, I don't go off half bent trying to indulge myself in something just for me. I tried to put myself inside the project as a professional would and write for the project, keeping yourself in it, keeping the artist being they in it and coming out with a great product. Now I'm just going to throw a scenario at you. Let's say, let's say I'm going to say that I'm in control of this project odyssey. Okay. Two things that I would do. I wouldn't have him only on the cover and I wouldn't call it Ingve Malmsteen's Rising Force, I think I would just call it Rising Force. Because in my opinion, in the 1980s uh, commercial rock era, the name, I don't think it's as marketable. You know what I mean? I don't think his name is very marketable. Well, you should have been a record company executive. <laughs> and also, and also, you should have been, you should have been now when Ingve was screaming that he had to be on the cover, screaming that it had to be Rising Force, and it's screaming because originally we were supposed to have Bob Daisley on bass and Eric Singer on drums. No way. Okay. Yeah. See, I'm giving you some inside shit here. Whoa. I did this not know exactly that. exactly what was happening. Oh, yeah. We had meetings with these guys. In fact, I believe Bob played on a track or two. But then they grabbed the bass and took over and started playing bass. But uh, and there's no better bass player than Bob Daisley. No. Or writer for that matter. Or writer, because Bob wrote all those great Aussie songs. That was Bob from Crazy Train to Mr. Crowley and Over the Mountain and you name it. That was Bob Daisley. <clears throat> and, and in Rainbow too. He was just amazing. So this was what it was supposed to be. Singer on drums, Daisley, me, and Jens Johansson on the keyboards. And Ingley freaked out and was felt like he was losing control instead of gaining a band and gaining a, a award-winning, I don't want to call it a super group because, you know, I hate that term, but we were all notable people. And he just turned it down and screamed and yelled and kicked uh, until they gave in. And I, for example, I said, well, you got to have a song called Rising Force. Right. You know, it's the title, it's your, it's your emblem, you know, it's your motto, it's your alma mater, it's your sort of your signature. So that's when I came up with Rising Force. And of course, made it into a spiritual, supernatural kind of ethereal lyric that, uh, you know, very strong lyric in my opinion. So anyway, uh, that, that's the truth of it. And I, I think maybe now you're a bit more enlightened. 
I am, Joe. Thank you. Yeah, sure. Let's uh, jump to Deep Purple quick. So was this surreal being the vocalist of Deep Purple, or did this just feel like Rainbow <laughs> 2.0, or what happened? No, 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 not at all. Uh, it was surreal because I grew up with Deep Purple. Uh, I'm originally a guitar player. Uh, got over 60 vintage guitars. In fact, Bonamassa bought one of my guitars. Okay. Um, to make a long story short, uh, I practiced my, my, my top band was Deep Purple. Then it was Led Zeppelin. Then it was Black Sabbath and so on. Okay. Back in the old days. So playing with these guys, you know, wasn't just Rainbow after Richie. It was like, John Lord, are you kidding? Right. Ian Pace, Glover. I mean, I was playing with the Mach 4, you know, this is unbelievable. And it's a very interesting story because, um, I had, uh, I had two other phone calls. One was from Foreigner and one was from Bad Company Oof. before they got Brian out. Yeah, this was all in the same like month. Okay. And I was like on top of my game at that point. And I was just like, so the thing with Foreigner didn't work out because I went and rehearsed with those guys and Lou heard about it and he just went, that's, you know, I'm coming back. <laughs> so they, they worked things out. Yeah, they worked things out, which ended up me singing on uh, on uh, Mick Jones' solo album and also on the Billy Joel album um, that he produced, uh, which is what the, didn't start the fire or whatever it was. Yep, yep. Um, yeah, so, you know, and things like that. You know, I had a long association with Mick. I did a few TV commercials with him and everything. So, but make a long story shorter uh, or longer, um, Dad Coe, Rick Wills, the bass player from Foreigner, had said, yeah, Dad Coe's interested. So I talked to, to well, I think it was just a road manager, somebody who was in, in, in sort of in the immediate between us. And um, I told them, well, I just got an offer from Deep Purple, you know, and they're like my favorite childhood band. So like, you know, and I had known Richie and Roger before, so it felt comfortable. Right. But it still was Deep Purple, you know, and uh, it was I was over the moon about it, really. It was terrific. So I'm, and I'm very happy I made that choice because uh, I think Brian Howe did a great job with Batco and and um, I really enjoyed doing the record with those guys. And we were doing it, <clears throat> we were supposed to be doing a second record when uh, they patched up some things with Dylan and got a big, big money offer from the record company to do so. Mm. See, these are the things people don't know what's going on behind the scenes. <clears throat> you know, when you get offered a couple of million dollars to... Um, put your anger away. Yeah, that'll work. <laughs> that works sometimes. <laughs> this is, you know, although it's rock and roll and we're supposed to be all this integrity, there's still money behind everything. Well, King of Dreams is an amazing track. I mean, the whole album's great, but that, that one's Thank just you. a standout, standout track. Yeah, I think so too. I play it live and uh, it's got a groove and a punchline and it's just, it just smacks. And yes, I think that album is pound for pound a very superior album. And I'm very, very pleased that Richie had come out in the press and said that that was one of his favorite purple albums. The induction to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, I did have honorable mention, but at the same time, uh, Richie mentioned again in the press that I should have gotten an award for that album alone. And yeah. I said, hmm, 
Not, not bad. That, that's enough of a reward for me. <laughs> well, I'm in my 40s, so I, Deep Purple, I, I respect them, but it was never really on my radar. But uh, for me, that's right. with you being in it, I was interested, and you know, I bought that album. Obviously, I'm coming right off of Odyssey into that album, so that was the only reason why right, I would right. buy a Deep Purple album was you were on there. So. Right, sure. And then, and then you found stuff that you liked about it and, you know, so on and so forth. So I have a wine called King of Dreams from Greece. It's a beautiful red. And um, you can go online and look it up. And uh, it sells for about 30 euros a bottle. Beautiful. Awesome. Anyway, that's the story of that. So you've done a lot of uh, backup vocals. Um, I, I think I, I read, and you just mentioned it actually, Billy, uh, Billy Joel. I think you've done work with yeah. Cher, all kinds of people. A couple of the albums that I have. Cher. Yeah. Yep. Jimmy uh, Barnes. You name it. TNT. Uh, those are two that I was always big into, Intuition and Realize Fantasies. And you're on those, aren't you? Yep. Great stuff. I love those guys. Yeah. Yeah. What's the relationship with like Tony. you and Tony Harnell? How, how was it working with him? No problem. I saw him on a cruise ship, uh, a rock and roll cruise ship last last time. And uh, we're pretty thick as thieves. Before that, we were in the, I was in New York and we had dinner together and uh, went over a few not only professional but personal things and you know was involved in each other's life at that point and talking on the phone all the time and um when i saw him on the cruise last we just had a great conversation and a couple of glasses of wine and um and i thought that tnt was going to get back together but um i guess that he just went off on the solo stuff which is great because tony's a killer singer yeah I uh, I talked to Ronnie Latikro uh, on my podcast, and man, he, you know he he's a musical genius. He's a guitar genius, and and he's he was a riot too. He had me dying. He is. <laughs> he is. He, he, Ronnie is one of my favorite people because I mean I have so many great stories with him when we were doing those albums, and God, he was the one who turned me on to Jägermeister, and uh, I had to quit it because it's, just, <laughs> it's crazy. Jägermeister and beer backup, man. And we went to Norway and just getting nuts with that stuff. We had so much fun, though. <laughs> in uh, in closing, what do you want to say to your fans that have been following you all these years? You know, um, that I'm extremely thankful and blessed that I'm still kicking, I'm still going, and um, enjoying it probably now more than ever, really, because uh, it's like... You know, you can look back and see everything you've done and all your accomplishments and you feel like you've got nothing. I don't need to prove anything, you know, at that point. All I need to do is make great music the way I think I've always done. And um, that kind of frees you up from all kinds of social media and uh, the haters and all kinds of stuff that goes on today, which I think is atrocious for anybody. Uh, because it, it gives, you know, the biggest, excuse my expression, asshole a platform, right. you know, to just vent his jealousy and anger for whatever reason unknown. But um, I think it gives too many people, um, you know, an opinion uh, without any reference points or probably knowledge of what they're even talking about. You know, you like what you like, Mike. It's right. like art. I don't know much about art, but I know what I like. And if people like the music, fine. If they don't, I don't mind you don't like the music. But you don't have to go any about go after people personally. You don't have to go into their to their dirt. 
because it's just none of your your business really and that's what I, I think should be kept at arm's length now I have a whole team of people with my Facebook page and my Instagrams and my I don't tweet anymore because it's just useless to me um, I have phone numbers for people I want to talk to and want to talk to me so that's the way we do it but um, I just want to say I'm so thankful to still be kicking around I can't wait till the new record comes out because people are going to be shocked and surprised, I think. I'm changing up the voice a little bit. Still me, but as I play some of the demos for my Swedish band, um, they went, that's you. You know, so this is exciting that I'm actually doing what I thought I could do, which is just put a little more edge on the vocal now because I'm not singing for Rainbow and I'm not singing for Purple or any of that. And I can just do what I want to do. So this is going to be fun. And the people that have supported and loved me all these years, I would be nowhere without them. And that's something that I fully understand, realize, and I'm blessed for. So I just want to say to everybody out there who has, I love you, I bless you, and I'm thankful eternally for all of that. And that goes for you too, buddy. That hey. goes for you. Joe, man, you kidding me? This was an honor, man. I've been a fan ever since I got into music and uh, really appreciate your time. It was a great conversation. Anytime, man. Anytime. It's been a pleasure talking to you. I really appreciate appreciate your good questions and I wish you all the luck with the podcast. All right. God bless you. Wow, this is CGM here. That was a great interview that Metal Mike did with Joe Lynn Turner. So now I'm going to tell you about some of these new releases from Cleopatra Records. So, first off, we have Thor, Rising. And we have a reissue from Great White, Stage. Jack Russell's Great White has once bitten acoustic bites. Another reissue here, this one's by George Lynch and Jeff Bilson. We have Wicked Underground. And finally, Rose Tattoo with Outlaws. CGM, those albums all sound incredible. And don't forget, also on Cleopatra, we have Joe Lynn Turner's Sessions, and we have Angel Risen, one of my favorites. And we'll put a link down in the description for Cleopatra Records. You know what you gotta do? I say it every video. Subscribe! Rock on! Listen, guys, you definitely need to subscribe. I'm sick of hearing them telling everybody that every single video. 